0: I'm so glad you're with us here on The Clark Howard Show, where it's about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. I have an update coming up today. today's Clark Rage. What I've told you about the U.S. Department of Education reneging on loan forgiveness for teachers and other public service workers. I'm going to tell you the latest news you need to know if someone in your family is a teacher or works in some kind of public service job. And coming up yet later, you can supposedly go online in a second to see the value of a home you're thinking of buying or a home you live in. How do you know whether those estimates have any validity in the marketplace? I'll tell you what you need to know. So I want to talk about the fact that the cell phone industry is going two big directions at once with great new phones in the marketplace that are very affordable at one end and then the most expensive phones ever that are being sold in the marketplace. Just announced, I think that was earlier today, there's a new phone that's $2,400. And it's really special because it drives your car, it does your laundry for you, it prepares your meals, and will take phone calls. Nope, doesn't do any of those things. The new phone from Huawei, which is the world's second largest seller of cell phones after Samsung, the new phone from Huawei folds small in your pocket, but opens up into an 8-inch magnificent display. The technology people who have seen the new phone called the Mate X are breathless about how unbelievably nice it is, but it's $2,400. Samsung, about a week ago, introduced their new folding phone, and their new folding phone starts at about $1,800. And the phone is pretty amazing as well because it folds into a a small phone that you can carry, but when you want to do things on a screen, it opens up into a magnificent screen. And then LG announced yesterday a new phone that is foldable and opens up and instead of having one large beautiful screen opens up into being a dual screen phone so you can multitask on the two screens these are all a lot of money so the idea behind this as I think about this is like the transition we went to many years ago from standard def to high def or from high def more recently to 4K, that the early adopters pay the most money and have the least benefit because they are the beta testers who work the bugs out. And then the rest of us are able to buy this stuff at an affordable price, which you'll probably start seeing in the marketplace in 2020, where you'll see affordable prices on these foldable phones. For the rest of us, there are many new phones that have been introduced over the last two days. Why, why this week? Because the Mobile World Congress is this week. It is the big trade show each year for the cell phone manufacturing industry. And so the, the beauty contest of new phones is now. In the midst of this, Motorola has just introduced the G7, which is a 6.2-inch screen phone that works on all U.S. networks and retails at $299 with features that two years ago would have made it the top, top, top of the line of any cell phone. Today, it would be considered to be a mid-market spec list, but a great phone for $299, If that's too rich for your taste, the prior phone, the Moto G6, that works on all networks in the United States, is being sold street price right now about $159. has a 5.7-inch screen, is a very good phone, a somewhat mediocre camera, but is a real deal with the fact that it's portable, that it can be used on any cellular network in the U.S. And so... Think about we're going two entirely different directions at once, a four-figure phone price point around $2,000 or so for the latest, greatest, fanciest breakthrough stuff, and then a couple of hundred dollars for a phone that would be earth-shattering just 24 months ago. And there will be several phones introduced over the next few weeks that will be really cool phones that'll be in the 200 to $300 range. Jonathan joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Jonathan. Hey,
1: Clark, how are you? Great, thank you, Jonathan. How can I serve you today? Um, well, I know that you talk a lot about um, the advantages of being able to go into retirement with a pre-tax pilot money and a post-tax pilot money. Um, and I'm going to be in a scenario because um, I'm thirty. Um, I have a Roth IRA, but I have old 401Ks that are either traditional only or, you know, obviously the matching portion that goes into the traditional. Um, so my question was, um, since tax rates are more likely to go up in the future rather than down, um, wouldn't the, wouldn't the vast majority of people just benefit by simply having money that's already taxed? Um, assuming that they have the option or like if if not am i missing something on on what the big benefit is between the pre and post-tax pile of money right what a great question so when i
0: talk about having the two piles it's because even though logic says 30 plus years from now when you would be spending this money that tax rates are likely to be higher than today what if we're wrong what if what if we have a different kind of tax code so many decades away. And the bet that you and I have made is that you want to have all your money post-tax so that you don't have to worry about what tax rates would be. So there's an advantage even in the accumulation phase of hedging your bet and having, in your case, I'd say most of your money in post-tax accounts but obviously the match will automatically create some pre-tax money for you that would be taxed in retirement. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't say to the exclusion of everything, go post tax, but the advantage will likely go your way if you do go heavily post tax.
1: And is there a certain point, like when you you know, when you're when you're advising people, is there a certain point where you say, you know, okay, you should do a you should try to have some pre-tax money here instead of post-tax, like at a certain age. or I would you, say it's really that?
0: based on income. That if somebody okay. is an ultra-high income earner, the current advantage of having the, the pre-tax benefit of having dollars not taxed outweighs the long-term benefit of not having to worry about tax rates in the future. So under the new tax code that we adopted last year, it would be, for a married couple, an income that stretches beyond 300000 a year. And for a single individual, once you start getting above about one sixty a year, that you start thinking about doing um, pre-tax instead of post-tax. Okay. All right. Well, cool. Well, I appreciate it, Clark. All right. And the best news, you're 30 years old, and you're obviously really into saving money. Yep. So are you doing this so that you can have financial independence at an earlier age than normal retirement, or you're just being smart with your money?
1: Uh, more about just trying to, be, trying to be smart with money and be able to, uh, be able to eat in retirement.
0: <laughs> Perfect. Good for you. And the more people do that, the more options you have, and the more you don't have to fear the time when you're not going to be working, but get to look forward to it. Jim joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Jim. Hello, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Jim. You're headed to Italia.
2: Yeah, in three weeks we're going to be flying to Italy. It's my wife and myself and our daughter. And we're planning on staying in Rome for two nights and then Florence for two nights and then Venice for two nights and then back in Rome for the last night. The, the killer is we're trying to find someplace with two bedrooms so we can you know, all have a little privacy. And it's, it's a little difficult to find someplace uh, inexpensive and nice. I was hoping to have a suggestion. So
0: I'm going to tell you something crazy, but in the cities you mentioned, you mentioned Rome, Venice, Florence, and then back to Rome. Is that what you said? Yes. So in those markets, you have a decent chance of finding really great hotels on Priceline that two rooms would be cheap enough that you'd probably be better off with a two-night stay doing two hotel rooms rather than, let's say, an Airbnb rental of a two-bedroom. The reason is, Airbnbs work out well, particularly for a five-night or longer stay, because of the fees you have at turnover of the unit. You stay two nights in an Airbnb property, and... Your move-out fee, your cleaning fee, may make what looks like a deal not a deal at all because it's divided over a two-night stay instead of a multi-night stay.
2: Yeah, that's what we were finding. So that, the Priceline thing, can you specify uh, an approximate location at a two-bedroom?
0: No, but, no, uh, I'm, I'm not. Exactly. I'm so saying you get two rooms. Okay, hotel rooms. It. Okay. And so if you go, I have a, a guide on how to use Priceline on my website. Okay. and walk you through how to do it. But I've gotten unbelievable deals using Priceline in Italy. And so if you go and, like, you look at Rome as an example, in in Italy, do not look at any property under four stars. Okay. You look, and maybe even uh, you know, potentially five stars, because they're four-star standard is really different than what we think of. Okay. And so if you were to pick a three-star, who knows what in the world you'd be looking at. Okay. So if you click on Express Deals on Priceline, and you limit your search to, um, let's say, to four-star and five-star hotels, like I'm looking right now, and I'm looking for a few weeks from now... There's a five-star in Rome by the Colosseum that's uh-huh. 155 a night U.S. Okay. I don't know what kind of price point you were looking at. Here's a four-star by Vatican City that's $89 U.S.
1: Yeah, that'd be more like our budget. <laughs>
0: okay. But you look through and you want to look at the ratings on the properties, and I've got on my guide at Clark.com how you – can usually figure out exactly what hotel it is you'd be staying at. I find that I'm able to decode the hotel, even though I'm not supposed to know the name of the hotel until after i book booked non-refundable. You follow my steps. You should be able to figure it out better than nine and ten hotels. You'll be able to figure out exactly where it would be. Check it out on TripAdvisor, and then know you're going to be comfortable with where you end up.
2: That sounds like
0: a great idea. Because with those short, short stays, you're not going to find that it's going to work out well trying to do the Airbnb route. A question for you, that last night in Rome, is that before you fly back to the United States? Yeah, the flight leaves in the morning. All right, so stay at, at one of the hotels by the Rome airport. Okay. And there are about five good hotels around the air, area of the Rome Airport. Okay. So uh, those you may not be able to do with a Priceline blind booking, but you'll find that rates are as little as about $70 a night for a decent hotel near the Rome Airport. Today's Rageous moment is about something that I've been on a slow boil about. Is that a term? Short fuse for a good while And it's about a law in the United States that if people work in public service jobs, think of police officers, firefighters, teachers, uh, people work in jobs where they're serving their fellow American in jobs where they earn less than they could choose to earn in the private sector, that is an incentive for you to be able to afford that. You work 10 years for one of those, keep your student loan payments up, your loan balance is forgiven on your student loans. Well, the U.S. Department of Education has decided the law of the land doesn't matter to it, and they are defying the law and refusing loan forgiveness as the law requires because the Secretary of Education, Ms. DeVos, doesn't like loan forgiveness, so she's just not following the law. Well, now, three student loan borrowers just won a major victory against the U.S. Department of Education. As a federal judge called the arguments of the U.S. Department of Education opposing loan forgiveness as nonsense. And one-fourth of all federal student loan borrowers work in public service jobs, one-fourth. And whether you agree or disagree with loan forgiveness for people in jobs like being a police officer or whatever, you change the law. But if the law permits it, their loan should be forgiven after 10 years. That's the law. I want you to know that the law is on your side. Do not get discouraged if you paid for 10 years in the education department refuses to follow the law and forgive your loans, know that as these things run through the courts, you can ride this new wave of decency and abiding the laws of the land. And so don't give up. Fight for your rights and petition again to have your loans forgiven as they should have been anyway. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can keep more of what you make. So I've had a number of people call me with questions or complaints about Zestimates. You know what a Zestimate is? Zillow, the big real estate site, has a thing on there where you can Zestimate the value of a home. You put in the address, and it will run its mathematical formula, its algorithm, and it will give you its best guess as the value of your home. Now, as I've said in the past, and I want to reiterate, the estimates really depend on where you live, how accurate they'll be. If you live in a neighborhood, let's say, of older homes, where they are not similar in design, and they were not built by a big public builder who builds hundreds or thousands of homes in a planned development, those estimates are likely not going to be worth your time to even hit the button to click, because the algorithms they use are fantastic For people who live in typical suburban communities, where you're in a neighborhood development or what's sometimes referred to in some parts of the country, subdivision, where a particular builder built many homes, usually using three or four different models. I remember when my brother, my oldest brother used to live in the Phoenix metro area, he and his wife bought a home in a development where there were four models. And so you could make some style differences in the homes, but there were four models. And if you got model B, it was always these many square feet, these many bedrooms, and this layout. Layout might mirror image, but they were all one of those four designs. In that kind of circumstance, in a development or a big neighborhood with just a few different styles, Zillow's estimate will be almost always right on the money, because they can take historical sales and come up with an estimate that brings into account what trend lines are for real estate in an area. But again, if you're in an area where the houses are very different, producer Joel lives in a neighborhood where your home is... Eighty years old. How old's your home? Gosh,
3: yeah, it's actually it's almost a hundred years old.
0: Hundred years old, and there's no other home exactly like yours around you.
3: Yeah, they're all a little bit different. So many duplexes that have been converted into single family homes, and yeah. So I looked up uh, Redfin and what Zillow has to say about my house. They're over seventy thousand dollars apart. So it's definitely. Oh, so you happened. you did a head to head of Zillow and Redfin? Yeah.
0: Which is, by the way, I recommend you do no matter what, is they both use their own mathematical formulas. You use both of them and see where they come up, but know that in a circumstance like Joel's, no chance. If you live in a very high-end home, no chance. But for the great middle of the market, which involves uh, probably three-quarters of homes in the country, these things can be a useful tool. Now the funny thing Redfin is quoted in a story in the Seattle Times is saying that even though they offer the pricing they find that human agents are much more accurate than the computers. And I don't know, I think again it depends on the home. But just because you're looking at a home, you pull up a value on Zillow and somebody's asking, let's say, more money for that home, you're thinking, oh, it's overpriced, or somebody's asking less, you think it's a steal, know that this is only a guesstimate and that's all it really is, and their legal disclaimer says exactly that. Eddie's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Eddie. Hello. How are you
2: doing? I'm doing fine, thank you. How can I serve you, Eddie? Well, uh, we have a, a bunch of uh, Disney v- VHS tapes, and we've been hearing uh, that some of those tapes may be worth uh, as, as much as $10,000 a piece. They're, they're uh, produced back in the 80s, late 80s, and um, we were just wondering uh, how true that was.
0: Well, if you look on eBay in terms of what people are asking for old, old tapes, uh VHS tapes you might think that's really true but the question is what are people actually paying because asking ain't getting right so there's been a lot of hype recently about people who have old VHS tapes and particularly you're mentioning the animated movies Mm -hmm. that they're worth a lot of money and they're referred to by the term black diamond collections right and I don't know that you're going to find that you're going to be able to score a lot of money. I would certainly not run out and buy collections of VHS tapes, thinking you're going to be able to take what somebody else thought was trash into your treasure.
2: Right. we were just wondering if this was, uh, you know, some kind of scam, and if it was, where does the the money come in? You know, where did they get their money at? Cause so well, collectors. In any
0: product category, there are collectors who see value in things that the rest of us don't. It's like, remember there used to be a show that people would buy stuff at garage sales and then they it turned out they had like an incredibly valuable piece of art that they'd make oh, yeah. a fortune from? Yeah. And there's <laughs> always rare circumstances where someone who is an expert in a field is able to find missing or hidden value and create it. But uh, I, this is not something that's a path paved with gold.
2: Oh, okay, yeah. Well, I, we just didn't want to, you know, enter into something and find out that uh, instead of us getting a lot of money, we were giving a lot of money to somebody else to try and handle this, you know, this sale or something. And, no,
0: no. I mean, what you would do if you wanted to try, track what... Uh, is going on with particular VHS tapes you have, Uh what's going on with listings on eBay? Okay. And then you'd be able to gauge whether or not you wanted to list something on eBay. Oh, okay. And producer Kim has something to say about this as well. Go ahead, Kim. I just wanted to let you know when you're looking on eBay, don't just look at what people list it for because people list it for whatever they want. You have to look and see what things actually sold for. Yeah, yeah, which okay. is which. Is the point I made up front: asking ain't getting. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so you got to be patient and figure out if you have something that might actually be worth a lot of money. Um, I'm not holding my breath on that, though. Tom's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Tom. Hey, how you doing today, Clark? Great, thank you, Tom. Understand you want to make your money work harder for you? Absolutely. Who doesn't? Exactly.
1: How can I help with that quest? well, I know you were talking a while back you were talking about uh high yield savings uh, accounts, and i did a little bit of research and um we're kind of hesitant me and my wife are kind of hesitant about um doing a uh, a bank that's online only um the one we're looking at their rate is uh two point four five but you have to have i think there's two qualifications for that for that rate is um a monthly payment, or of a hundred, up deposit of a hundred dollars, or uh, twenty-five thousand uh, in the savings account. But like I you said, said they are paying a how much? Two
2: point four. It's two point four five.
0: Okay, that's at the higher end of what's out there, but it's not necessarily the highest rate in the market right now. Okay. So, but that's a really good rate, and. Um, but a lot of them have no minimum or hundred dollar minimum. How much do you yeah. have that you could commit to an online account?
1: Oh, we could definitely do the twenty five. It's just we are kind of hesitant, like I said, because we don't know anything about these type of savings accounts. And they're um, completely
0: safe as long as they're FDIC insured, okay. and you keep your account balance at uh, two hundred and forty thousand or less. The reason okay. two forty. Is the federal insurance caps out at two fifty, and you yeah. want to stay below two forty so that your interest that you're earning every day is protected, as well as your okay. money. It's a good problem to have if you have more <laughs> than uh, two hundred fifty thousand, yeah.
1: right? Yeah, uh, yeah, well, not there yet, but maybe eventually. We'll so I'm there. looking
0: at the moment; the best rates are right around two and a half. Okay, so you're right up there, and yeah. Um, If the 25 is no problem and it's an FDIC insured account, you're good to go.
1: Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, Clark. I love your show.
0: Thank you. And uh, keep earning that money. It's great you've saved. Definitely. So now you can earn the money. And there's so much money sitting in savings accounts, particularly with the four giant monster megabanks that pay essentially zero on savings. And those big four are Bank of America, Chase, Citibank, and Wells Fargo. Don't let them rip you off. Move your Even if you want to continue to do business with your checking account with one of the four giant monster megas, at least move your savings over to one of the online banks. You can link it with your account. There's no cost to do so. And all you do is you make your money work for you instead of working for one of the four giant monster mega banks. Chip is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Chip.
2: Hey, Clark. How you doing?
0: Great. Thank you, Chip. You got a question about doing micro-investing.
2: I do, yes. I just want to see what options are out there and how it works and if it's a good idea or not.
0: So there are two that are very similar to each other. One is called Acorns. I don't know if you've heard of them. I have. I have. And the other is called Stash. And with both of these, you can either have uh, your idle change from every purchase go into an account, or you can set up where you systematically put money into your Stash account or Acorns account, and then for what's basically $12 a year, no commissions, you're able to invest in stocks or various funds. Oh, Okay. And they're completely legit. Great. I keep hearing from people who've been doing, especially Acorns, because I guess they have more market share, that they're able over the years to build up in the thousands of dollars of money that used to slip through their fingers, they now have that they've been able to invest. And that's really great.
2: Okay, I appreciate that. That helps a lot.
0: Well, I'm glad and I hope that uh, that this works out for you as a way for you to build up some investment money and build for your future. The other one people ask me about is Robinhood. Robinhood is a platform where you're able to trade stocks and they're uh, the cousin of mutual funds known as ETFs, exchange-traded funds, commission-free. And Robinhood has... No Minimums has been an ultra-popular app for people who want to invest but are not sitting there with huge amounts of money, and they're able to trade on the Robinhood platform at zero cost. And you download any of these to your Android or iPhone, and you're on your way.
4: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance.
0: It's time for Ask Clark. That's where you post a question for me at clark.com slash ask. Then your question will either be you asking it on the air or producer
3: Joel asking for you. What you got, Joel? Clark, I got a question from Jim. He says, my mother-in-law gave me a wallet for Christmas about 10 years ago. The wallet was very thin, made from material similar to parachute fabric. She told me that she heard about the product on your show, Do You Remember the Name of the Wallet? Well, not only do I remember the name of the wallet, but if you look on your radio dial
0: right now, you will see, or your podcast on your phone, you will see my beautiful wallet. They come in different versions from uh, one that's just totally parachute material that's the lowest cost to mine is parachute material on the inside, leather, beautiful leather on the outside, and it's called All Et A-L-L ett.com. The wallets vary in price from time to time. They have sales from time to time. But what it allows you to do is it makes what would normally be a really fat wallet thin and it is pretty durable. I find that I'm pretty harsh on a wallet that I get about two years use out
3: of it before I got to get another parachute material based wallet. All right, Clark. Sam wrote in. He says, I've been looking at your 529 guide uh, on your website, and I don't see the USAA plan listed anywhere. How does it stack up?
0: So the USAA plan is okay, but it doesn't make the cut. You know, I'm pretty strict with my 529 plan guide. The expenses that USAA charges, as great as USAA is, the expenses they charge on their 529 plan are... In a mid-range, I'm looking for plans that are low cost. The USAA plan, typical thing you invest in, is going to have a cost of about half a percent to 1%. And I'm looking for plans that are much cheaper. A lot of the plans that made my dean's list with high honors on my most recent 529 plan guide have expenses below one-fifth of 1%. So what's happened over the years is 529 plans have gotten better and better and better and USAA needs to step it up a little and cut the cost so they can be among the better plans in the country instead of just ho-hum average.
3: I can't believe I said that about my beloved USAA. (laughs) All right. And Clark, John had a question or no, a comment. He says, I discovered a very useful app called Brandify. It allows me to compare brands like Kellogg's versus Millville, General Mills versus Aldi. It's free and it works great. And I wanted you to know about it. Thank you very much. And this is an app
0: that I cannot use because in their infinite wisdom, they've only developed the app for iPhone users. Remember, most of us use Android. Anyway, so Brandify is the app, and it's really easy to download. And when you look at it, it's got a really uh, big emphasis on uh, a lot of women's products, uh, and but then a variety beyond that. And so they tell you for a particular product, based on the wisdom of the crowd, if the off-brand is a great choice or if in a particular product category and they they tell you the brand name they're comparing it to versus the store brand they're comparing it to, whether or not you're going to find the store brand to be a great choice. Thank you for that suggestion and the Brandify people, why aren't you taking care of those of us on Android? You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.